Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! This five rolls around once again, and we're getting to the end of the Syracuse Athletics calendar, John Eads, but there's still one team making a deep NCAA tournament run. Syracuse women's lacrosse passed the second round to win over Princeton on Sunday and a rematch with Northwestern. Syracuse men's basketball also got a transfer from Duquesne and Munir Hema. Malax rolled in a transfer as well, a guy named Alex Simmons from Denver. And there's plenty to talk about on the football side of the things as summer recruiting and summer workouts heat up. So we'll get into our Fizz Five, starting with the Syracuse women's lacrosse team. Number one. So two games last weekend for SU women's lacrosse. A win over Fairfield in the first round, which was oh so sketchy and then a win over Princeton in the second round which the Orange seemed to have a little bit more control over and again it's been Megan Tyrell powering the offense and getting things going yeah that's right and she had nine points over the weekend and really looked like that dominant force that she's been all year she's really the player that has had to step up for this team because Megan Carney has been injured at points this season and Syracuse really hasn't gotten the production from its midfield that it really thought it would have not only coming into the postseason, but really throughout the season, they've really dealt with injuries and stuff. But Megan Tyrell has been that steady offensive presence and she simply took over in this game. Princeton was all over Syracuse early on in the Orange were at a deficit. I wasn't sure if they would mount a comeback, but they did. And it was all about Emma Tyrell or Megan Tyrell, excuse me. Tyrell just has that ability to get wherever she wants to at times, blow past defenders. And the thing that happened on Friday against Fairfield is that she went quiet at times, but Olivia Adamson really stepped up big time for Syracuse. Just a freshman and playing in your first NCAA tournament game in an away environment. Okay, so let's explain this real quick. Syracuse is the number five overall seed in the tournament, but can't host home games or at least couldn't host home games for the first and second round because they had graduation on the SU campus and there weren't enough hotels to host all NCAA tournament teams, officials, personnel, et cetera, et cetera. So Syracuse was technically playing home games away to just to make that make sense for people who might be wondering. So you come out against the Metro Atlantic champions and only win 12-11. I think on Friday, Syracuse was affected by the crowd, the you know, away game, different environment, experienced team. But I, I don't think so much on Sunday because Olivia Adamson now has nine goals through two games. And that freshman sort of medal that we've seen last year from Emma Ward, and now we're seeing it from Adamson, it just proves that this team is experienced and there's some moxie behind what Kayla Trainer is doing. Yeah, it seems like every year there's always one freshman that kind of bursts onto the scene in the postseason. It was Emma Ward last year. Really, it was about every uh, every player just stepping up to replace the last one that got injured. Of course, Emma Tyrell already mentioned it, uh, injured earlier this season and hasn't played since. So it's been key for Addison to step up. She's been a steady contributor for this team all year. And the way she plays offense, the way she moves through a defense, can dodge one-on-one, catch and shoot is really critical, especially in women's lacrosse. So she's definitely played very well. If SU wants to move on to the final four, she's going to continue to need to play that way. And then one player that also impressed me was Jenny Markey. She had two goals and an assist in the win over Princeton. Syracuse, like I mentioned before, not getting a lot of offense from its midfield spots this year. Uh, Sam Swart 
has been a little inconsistent. Sierra Cockrell was out with injury ever since the beginning of the season. Already talked about Tyrell again. Uh, Natalie Smith has been pretty good there as well, but she's not that big of a scoring threat. I think she's more of just a two-way solid player. So if Jenny Markey can, can continue to provide offense and score some goals from that spot, then this offense would really benefit. So I think those are two things to keep in mind moving forward. You know, what can Adamson continue to do and what can Markey continue to bring from the midfield? And this is also a really interesting spot for Syracuse because you have a couple more days off. You go to Northwestern on Thursday, and this is a Northwestern team Syracuse has played already, lost 16-15 to 15 in overtime. I was on the call for that game with Johnny Gadamwitz for Z89. Uh, what, it seems like forever ago, but it was early April. And uh, Syracuse had a big lead going into the fourth. They're up 13-9, 15-12 at separate points, and just gave the game away, gave Northwestern the final four goals of the contest. So I think this is a chance for Trainer to really show her coaching medal against one of the best coaches all time in collegiate women's lacrosse. And to, I think this is how you get over that hump, to get to that Memorial Day weekend. This is, this is like the first real coaching test for Trainer where there's some adversity, there's a storyline coming into this game because it's a team that's beaten them before. You know, it's not Boston College. It's not North Carolina. Northwestern hasn't seen Syracuse all that much this season. But I think it's really a, a chance for Syracuse to go back to a place where they have some demons and exercise them. And I think if they're going to do that, they're going to need a big game from Emily Harris, Chuck. She was a little quiet against the Tigers, just a goal and an assist, but had six goals and three assists the last time Syracuse played Northwestern. I'm not sure if that was the product of a matchup or a mismatch, rather, um, or her just having a great game. But they're going to need that kind of a, of a performance again from her because I don't know where the offense is going to come from, quite frankly, without Megan Tyrell because Northwestern absolutely bottled her up. I mean, she had five goals in that game, but her impact wasn't really felt, I think, when I was thinking back uh, to that game. And uh, or check that. She actually had um, one goal, one point of the day. So, yeah, she did yeah. get bottled up and really wasn't that big of a factor. So I'm not sure if that was the product of something Northwestern was doing defensively. The Wildcats are kind of known for their defense year after year. Um, so like you said, I think this is a great chance to see what kind of adjustments not only Tyrell can make, but what um, Kayla Trainer can make from a coaching standpoint. And she's the offensive specialist. You know, she's the mastermind of the offense. So maybe she can work some magic and change things there. But I think both of these teams are – completely different a couple months later and coming into this matchup than what they were back in March. I agree that the Tyrell point is that they covered her one-on-one -on -one and they just, they pretty much denied her the ball wherever she was. Even if she was standing back near the restraining line, there was a defender right in her face, you know, stick on stick to prevent her from catching any passes. And the other, other point I want to make before we move on, John, Emma Tyrell had a really good game in Northwestern, not just from a point standpoint, she also had eight draw controls. Caitlin Mashevsky really struggled to win the draw to herself. So Syracuse picking up ground balls was huge off the wings. And Sarah Cooper, who's now replaced Tyrell as a wing in this draw, you know, in the draw uh, progression, she's really going to have to be big. She had 10 draw controls against Virginia in the ACC tournament, and she's done a great job so far during the NCAA tournament of scooping up ground balls. That has to continue for Syracuse because Jill Girardi really made a big impact down the stretch of the game. That's Northwestern center who took the draws for the Wildcats. She made a huge impact down the stretch, picking up draws and starting that Northwestern offense. But 
I think that's a pretty solid preview of all we need to know about Syracuse women's lacrosse. The Orange take on Northwestern at five. Pretty sure it's on ESPNU. Might want to double check me on that, but about 99% sure that game's going to be on ESPNU at five o'clock on Thursday. So moving on, Syracuse men's basketball has potentially, I'm going to put a big potentially on this, but potentially found an answer to fill that backup center spot. Munir Hima, Syracuse transfer from Duquesne, is our number two topic this week. Number two. So Hema is six foot 11, almost seven, some around seven foot. Uh, played for Duquesne last year. The, the stats are not amazing. I mean, he's a freshman. And John, this is a guy that's only been playing organized basketball for now five years. So Jim Beheim's really getting an unmolded lump of clay. Yeah, but I think he's also getting a guy with high upside and the raw physical traits that you would want in a center, especially in the zone defense. Six foot 11, 240 pounds. That's pretty good size. I think he's probably actually a little bit bigger um, weight wise than Jesse Edwards is. So, look, I mean, I don't really care about what his offensive numbers and stats were. What you need is somebody, just really another body that you think could fit in this defense from a mold standpoint. I think that uh, Hema definitely fits that role. I didn't even know about this guy um, until he took an official visit and then committed like a day or two later. So um, this is a good job by the staff of finally getting on the trail and finding a player and filling a need that they definitely needed to because, you know, it seemed like every potential option they had, Quincy Ballard, Brandon Huntley Hatfield, uh, a cook, a cook from UConn, they're all going elsewhere. And it seemed like there was going to be nobody left for this team to snag. So this is a, it's not a great pickup, but it's a good pickup because you fill the need. And I think Hema will fit into this team pretty well. And for him, it's, it's a good opportunity because he comes from a place in Duquesne where, you know, he was under-recruited and Duquesne's obviously not that well-known of a program. This is a nice opportunity for him to maybe potentially earn the starting job a couple of years down the road. Hema is a freshman still, like freshman last year, sophomore this year. He's from Niger. Um, yes, and he's six foot 11, 240. I'll read you off his stats from last year because you know, not, not so gaudy. Uh, 1.9 points per game, 2.8 rebounds per game, shot 42.5% from the field. So, you know, nothing, nothing crazy for his center. However, Duquesne, uh, I watched one of their games last year. They got ravaged by injuries. Like this team had seven or eight guys either transfer or go down midseason. So Hema was playing on a team with not a lot of continuity. And then also you look at his game log. He stepped into a starting role at the end of the season against Davidson played 31 minutes. That's a Davidson team that made the tournament. And yes, Duquesne did lose by 16, but that's neither here nor there. George Washington played 22 minutes in a triple overtime game. And I watched that George Washington game. He was active. I think that's the most important thing you want to see from a center is just sheer activity. Hema was all over the place, setting screens. He was trying to roll to the rim and it was a hard roll. It wasn't like a Frank Anselm, like, all right, I screen now throw me the ball. Like he was trying to get active and he's trying to be like, be extremely involved in the game, which I think is important. Duquesne's offense also ran a lot of screening actions and cuts from the baseline. So Hema was constantly moving, constantly looking to set up a shooter to pop out. And I think you'll have to do a lot of that at Syracuse. And yes, nobody Bayheim anymore, no dangerous lethal catch and shoot threat, but I think there's still potential, especially for a Justin Taylor or maybe Chris Bunch or Judah Mintz to also run that similar action. And hopefully Hema catches on to the Syracuse offense pretty quickly. 
And I think he should eventually develop into a decent zone center defensively as well. That's music to my ears because we saw Jesse Edwards do a lot of pick and rolling last year and setting up this offense for not only passes to the outside for outside shots, but also rolling to the basket himself and scoring. So that's definitely good to hear. I think he will fit really on both ends of the floor. What you missed with Frank Anselm on the floor last year for Syracuse when Edwards was on the bench and injured and whatnot, um, he wasn't really a presence on offense. All he would do is stand around, maybe set a couple of screens, grab a couple of rebounds. And, you know, that's really the only, uh, that was really the extent of his offensive production. So it's nice to hear that Hema has some, you know, versatility as a history of, you know, being able to pass, recognize the flow of an offense and score. And you mentioned the games he played down the stretch. I mean, he was scoring points. He had nine in a game against St. Bonaventure. And then he also had 10 rebounds in that Davidson game, like you mentioned. So that's really all you can ask for from your center to go out there, give you a couple of good minutes, be a rim protector, maybe do a couple of things in the offensive end to continue that steady production while Edwards is on the bench. So overall, it's a good pickup, I think. Summer is going to be huge for Hema if he has a summer of development, if he gets on campus as quickly as possible and gets in the mellow center, then yes, there are definitely strides to be taken. And we've seen Jim Beheim pick up guys like this before who don't have a ton of basketball experience, who are a little rough around the edges, and turn, he's turned them into decent players. So I think there's definitely the potential for Hema to contribute in conference play down the road. So from one men's sport to the next, both who are kind of underwhelming this year, we go to men's lacrosse where Syracuse has picked up a transfer from Denver, and it's a little complicated. So, John, we're going to have to do some explaining. Alex Simmons is our third topic of the week. Number three. So Simmons is a transfer from Denver, but he's not in the portal for this season. He's a grad transfer for 2023. John, can you break that down? Yeah, uh, so he's going to come to Syracuse and join the team in the summer whenever, go to school, uh, in the fall, and then once the spring rolls around, he'll be on the team and he'll be suiting up to play for Syracuse. So he will be on the team for next year. Wait a second. So grad transfer for 2023. All right, well, maybe my math is messed up, but yes, 2023 seems like a long way away, but I guess it is next season. Right, right. And we've seen a lot of guys do this very preemptively, and so Simmons still has probably a degree to finish or something. That's that's what the uh, the language is around it, but – he played with the Owen Hilton High School. Um, I mean, that's that's certainly a plus. Syracuse needs all the talent they can get. And Culver Military Academy is a place that pumps out great players. They're also Canadian, so you got to figure there's some juice there as well. Um, what do you see from this guy, and what's he going to add to Syracuse? He's just an offensive threat. He has a history of playing box lacrosse, obviously being Canadian. A lot of those players do that. Um, and the skills you gain from playing that style of lacrosse is better passing, more precise finishing, and understanding how to play team lacrosse rather than hero ball, singular individual lacrosse. So they're getting someone that's a really skilled passer, someone that recognizes, you know, where slides come from, where the open man is, where the next pass should go. He's got a nice shot from the outside as well. And then he's also really precise with his finishing inside because you have to be able to finish and score in tight spaces when you're playing box lacrosse. So they're getting someone that's not like a Brendan Curry type player where you know, or a Tucker Dordovic type player where they could create their offense for themselves, um, but they can create offense for other people and cut off ball well and move well. So he's someone that played attack and midfield at Denver, um, produced in both spots, kind of like Tucker Dordovic in, you know, kind of that storyline, not the same player at all though. So really what they're getting is someone that can move the ball well, keep it hot, 
work the offense, play in the man up, and then finish in the middle. So I think this is kind of a stylistic change we're starting to see with Syracuse where they want more of the quick passing, quick finishing, rather than dodging, passing, passing, and shooting. So do, where do you think he fits in next year? Is he going to be – is he going to start on that attack line? Is he first-line midfield, second-line midfield? Because I thought those midfield lines, especially the second one, needed more athleticism, needed someone who can you know, really dodge and start – initiate some sort of offense. Doesn't seem like Simmons necessarily is that guy, but he'll be a complimentary piece. It's just for whom is he that complimentary piece? I think he's going to play midfield. He definitely could play attack, but Syracuse has Jackson Burt whistle back, and he kind of fits a similar mold that Simmons already does, so there's no reason to flip-flop them, I don't think. You got Spillina um, Toot coming in, so yeah, that's exactly. absolutely loaded boat. We did see Burt whistle play midfield to start the season, but the way he finished at attack, I think he definitely needs to stay there. Uh, Spillina should play the X. Uh, he's going to come in and hold that position down. Simmons can't play the X, in, in mm. my opinion. didn't see that on film. And then, of course, you got Owen Hiltz back, and he'll play on the left wing. So I think Simmons yeah. is a first-line midi. He'll play maybe kind of on the wing and then also on the crease. He's not going to be that guy that dodges from up top and sets up the offense that way because that's just not his game. Syracuse mm. still needs to find whoever that guy is, whether it be someone that's on the roster right now, which I don't think they have, um, or someone in the transfer portal. So it's a good pickup, but it doesn't solve the overall problem. I don't think they still need to go out and get that guy that can create the offense and get the ball moving and get things started. One thing I would like to see from Gary Gate is, I don't know about you, but I think that lacrosse is trending towards a style where you can have like freaks who play up top, like a dude that is six foot four, two twenty, who looks like he, you know, he might be Dino Babers' next linebacker, who can who can post up up top and just get shots off whenever because he's just bigger than everybody else. Gary Gate has doesn't have one of those, and John Desco didn't really have one either, like those big you know, snipers that just stand 15, 20 yards out and hunt their shots, even almost like a defenseman in hockey, right? They slap it and you see what happens in front of the crease. I feel like Syracuse really needs one of those as well, like an outside shooter to make that offense go. And you, you have Hiltz who can really kind of do it, but I feel like they need a big body as well to just attract more attention away from guys who need to dodge and create. I think Simmons can be that guy. He flashed a little bit of his ability to shoot from 12 yards out. Uh, but that's not where his game is at its best, I don't think. So I think they can definitely still go out and try to find that guy. Um, I think maybe a lot of people thought that would be Lucas Quinn last year. He kind of fit that kind of a mold. Wasn't much mm. of a dodger, but more of an outside shooter threat. Um, now, had he stayed healthy, it probably would have helped this team out a lot. But, yeah, I mean, really what we're both getting at here is that this team still needs to find a couple more pieces in the transfer portal. So, you know, we'll see if they can do that going forward because if they don't, I'm not sure where they're going to get this kind of production from with the guys on the team now and the guys coming into next year's recruiting class. Cause it's really just hard to tell when you watch high school film, because these guys could be playing top talent like Joe Spelina is every week, or they could be playing some of the worst high school teams in the United States of America. Yeah. The cross is definitely hit or miss when it comes to high school, but speaking of high school circuits, Dino Babers and the company have to be on the trail as well. It's summertime. So our last two topics, we'll cover what Syracuse football is doing in the summer. We'll start with the recruiting trail for number four. Number four. The Orange going after a linebacker who just scheduled an official visit a couple days ago. He's from New Rochelle, New York. It's good to see Dino getting after that in-state talent. Zion Moultrie Goddard He's a linebacker. He's six foot two, 240 pounds. No crystal ball rating yet, but he's starting to draw some interest. Schools like Syracuse, Arizona State, Tennessee, West Virginia, and Rutgers. 
in the mix for his commitment. He goes to Iona Prep, and he screams three-star to me, John. I, I would suspect that's where he's going to end up once he pops up on the 2023 you know, 24-7 sports radar. Some guys still haven't gotten their respect. Two of Syracuse's three commits don't have stars yet, which I feel like is kind of underserving, but at the same time, the Orange do only have three commits. So there you go. Yeah, and I think the whole thing with the no stars deal is um, it, it's a little, you know, we, we don't need to talk about it a whole lot right now, I think, because it's yeah. still early kind of in this recruiting cycle. So a lot of players haven't gotten ratings yet still for whatever reason. I think COVID may have had something to do with that. Players not being able to go to, you know, camps and whatnot. So I'm not too concerned about that. Um, 247 has him as a three-star um, 107th best linebacker, but top five player in the state of New York. And he's drawn a lot of interest from some good teams. You mentioned Arizona state, Tennessee. He's also visited Duke wake forest plans to visit Penn state, Louisville and Pittsburgh too. So a lot of teams in the Northeast want this guy, uh, six, two, two forty, good body, especially for a linebacker. I don't think really that Syracuse has a linebacker right now with that kind of mold, maybe Stefan Thompson, but just kind of a bigger, a bigger threat. You know, you think about Marlo Wax, you think about Mikel Jones, they're both in like the 220, 225 range. So I think it's important to have a beefier guy, especially in the 335 when your defensive line might be giving up a little bit of size. So yeah, this is a, this is certainly a player that Syracuse needs to get. I liked how I've liked so far how Dino Babers and his staff have targeted the New York players um, I don't know if they were reading our articles from last summer or what, but um, they've really gone after the, the, those kind of guys. And I think that's really important to do. Um, so this is definitely someone they need to get. He'll come in on an official visit in mid-June. Um, and that's really when the ball should start to get rolling for this class. There's only three commitments right now, but you see this with a lot of different schools. Um, that's when they really start to get the ball moving is, is in the middle of June when a lot of players come in on visits and really see the campus uh, for real. So you mentioned Moultrie Goddard. He's got that official visit coming up, and you know he's un, unranked by 24-7 sports, at least in the star category. Do you think he has the potential to rise up in, you know, through the rankings if he has a good camp or two and potentially like ascend, I hate to say it, but ascend the Syracuse echelon of recruiting? Because I've seen it with a lot of prospects where they get that Syracuse offer early on, but then they just keep on going bigger and better things and they leave the orange in the review rear view because, Hey, Tennessee, Tennessee and Syracuse, two orange schools, but two completely different energies around the football programs. Right. I think what works for Syracuse though, is that we're not sure if that's a committable offer to Tennessee, you know, yeah. like schools will hand out offers to players, but sometimes they're just like, Hey, here's an offer. And then they go to commit and they're like, Oh no, we don't want you. You can't commit to our school. So I think sometimes mm -hmm. that happens, but I don't want to disrespect Moultrie Goddard because he's a solid player at 131 tackles, 23 tackles for loss last year. If he has another good season um, in his senior season, then I think he definitely could rise up the rankings. Um, but you know, he's got good offers. He's a talented player. He's a top five player in the state. This is someone that I think Syracuse definitely needs to get. Um, on top of that, he also played a little bit of offense, 323 rushing yards, nine touchdowns on that side of the ball. So, you know, 6'2", 240, pretty good size for a running back. Um, but I think with, you know, what a lot of people are seeing in him is that he will play linebacker. And, of course, Mikel Jones, Marlo Wax, Stephon Thompson. Um, you know, I remember when they were all just freshmen, but now they're starting to get a little bit older and Syracuse needs to find that next crop of good talent. So this is a must-get. SU definitely in the market for a thumper going forward. Zion Moultrie Goddard will track his commitment in the next couple of weeks on orangefizz.net and on Twitter at orangefizz. Our last topic of this Tuesday morning is 
coming around to summer football because summer workouts, summer classes, summer programming, you got to learn the new offense if you're Garrett Schrader and company, brings us to the topic of who needs it most. So that's our fifth topic of this week's Fizz Five. Number five. So those couple of different aspects I already mentioned, John, you got the playbooks, you know, you film study, you dive into everything from spring practice, what you can learn, what you can take away. You've got summer conditioning and diet planning, of course, extremely important for all the freshmen that are either just getting on campus or are early enrollees that are now first really diving into football. And then you've just got the class aspect. You've got the adjustment to campus, all that sort of good stuff that mainly comes for the freshmen. The older guys are just hanging around and, you know, they maybe they have a little cup of tea in the classroom, but mainly it's for those young dudes to get their feet wet and, you know, take a lighter load class-wise when it comes to the fall. But the first two things are obviously most important because that'll get you right on the field. So which position group, I'll, I'll throw it to you first for this one, which position group do you think really needs that time to either A, learn the new offense, or B, adjust under Tony White's 335? I think it's the wide receivers uh, because you're going from a bigger schematic shift from whatever it was that Sterling Gilbert and Tino Babers ran. Um, I don't think anybody knows. It's what Robert and I is doing um, with all the misdirection, four receiver sets, screen passes. It's just different route combinations. It's a different route tree. And you also need to learn how to block um, the run game in this offense too. I think that's going to be a little bit different. So, you know, there's a couple of different options you could have gone with here. You could have gone quarterbacks. And obviously that's kind of a cop out because every year it seems like the quarterbacks need the summer. They need to relearn the offense, learn new plays and, you know, reapply uh, themselves to the playbook. But I think it's more so about the wide receivers because I think that's the position group with maybe the most talent on this team from a top to bottom standpoint. And it's also a position group that I think needs to have the biggest impact this year. If Syracuse wants to be really good, I could have also gone defensive line on the other side of the ball, but it's the same defense. Syracuse kind of knows what it has there. Um, and I think, I think if the biggest improvement they need to show the D line is getting bigger, getting stronger. Mm. Uh, but I think more so, uh, it's all about the points this year, and the points are going to come from the wide receivers, you know, having an impact in the passing game. So I think they need this summer uh, more than anybody. I'm going to throw out the O-line as a group that I think really needs the summer to get right because this Robert and I offense, you and I both saw it at the spring game, it is very much predicated on tempo. They went extremely fast. There was a lot of hand signals to the sideline to call plays. And I mean, we saw it from Justin Lampson in the first two drives of the game. And at that point, before we saw what he can do, he was potentially the third string quarterback. And he was running no huddle, calling the plays by himself with hand signals. And the O-line had to hustle up to the line every single time, communicate with each other, get their protections figured out, you know, and that's in 15 seconds once you get set. And so that sort of, you know, play after play after play action, especially when you're going to be doing a lot of run blocking, you have to figure out assignments quickly while Sean Tucker looks to break through X hole, Y hole, you know, the A gap or the B gap. You have to figure those things out at the snap of a finger. So, yes, I agree that the wide receiver adjustment has is going to have to be big, but they're running the same sort of routes every single, you know, most of the time they'll have their trees. The O-line, on the other hand, has to make all sorts of adjustments and it comes every single play based on the front so you have to process it quicker, and you also have to be in extremely good shape to just keep it moving, keep it moving, and then we'll see how this line progresses without Aaron's service 
um, overall, because although he was kind of a turnstile at times, he was a leader for the group. So I'll, I'll throw that out there. I think the defensive line also needs that summer conditioning. Francois Knowlton is going to play a lot next year, whether we like it or not. I think Dennis Hawkes might as well. Those dudes need to bulk up, man. They need to eat their Wheaties. I would say Knowlton's fine size-wise, but definitely Hawkes. He's a little bit smaller, uh, more of a true edge player, not a defensive end in a 3-3-5. Uh, but he has, you know, he has the ability to make an impact year one based off his skill set. Um, so that's fair. I like the offensive line point. The reason why I didn't go with them is because they do bring a lot of players back from last year. They did show at times last season that they wanted to be up tempo and quick. So I think they're pretty well conditioned to, you know, fitting that. Um, and a lot of the players are experienced. They've played in this offense for a couple of years. I also like what they did last year, you know, paving the way for Sean Tucker to have a great season and doing what they can to protect the pocket and Garrett Schrader too. So I think they'll be fine. They definitely do need to get in condition because they do want to go up tempo, but you know, and I's been there since the winter. So they should be at the point where they know what to expect it, you know, at this juncture and they'll just continue to work on it each week. So, um, you know, we, we pinpoint a couple of different position groups, but top to bottom, this whole team, I think also needs the summer because it's still a team that has not made a bowl game since 2018. So every position group needs work. They got a tough schedule coming up and we'll see, you know, what kind of stuff goes on in the summer and the improvements made in the fall. I wonder if Syracuse is ever going to get over that Louisville hump. I think this would be the year to do it because that's who the orange lead the season off with, but that's going to wrap it up for this week's Fizz five, John Eads and Ian Unsworth bidding you so long. Check out our stuff always on orangefizz.net and at orange fizz on Twitter. And have a great rest of your week. Go Orange. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.